turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3. We're going to end up looking at a at a a, a passage here that is going to uh, really is somewhat of a pickup from last week. It's a continuation until until God stops kind of directing me toward uh, the, these this concept, this idea of us following Him and discipleship and. Um, then we're just he's just going to keep taking me to these scriptures, and that's where we'll be. I think part of it is because ultimately as we watch what is happening in our world, as we watch the uh, changes, the transitions, the maybe some things that we're even kind of oblivious to that we don't notice and we don't pay attention to because it doesn't enter into our normal sphere of operation, then... I think maybe we're not even conscious of the challenges that are going to come our way in being a follower of Christ. It's coming. It's, it's coming our way. So today we're going to talk out of Philippians chapter 3 on the idea of, of loss and gain. What does the Bible talk about regarding loss and gain here in Philippians chapter 3? Uh, I want us to read uh, verses, actually verses 8 through 11, and then once we do that, uh, actually we're going to read verses 7 through 11, and once we do that, then we're going we're gonna to dive in. Uh, beginning with, with verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You know, it's an interesting thing when you begin to look at, at this passage, because we just sang a song that talked about all of these things that the name of Jesus could do. That people could be freed, that people could be delivered, that, that fear would have to depart, that the enemy would have to flee at the name of Jesus. And then Paul said, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing the man that bears that name. The name of Christ Jesus who was his Lord. And he said, and in fact, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. Why would we not? If we truly will accept and believe that he is the Son of God, 
that he did pay the price for us on Calvary, that three days later, it's beyond even sometimes our mental comprehension, but that the power of God, the one who could speak worlds into existence and breathe life into man to begin with, could raise his son from the dead three days later and could fulfill the promise that he had made, the statement he made when he said, no man takes my life, but I have the power to lay it down, and I'll have the power to take it back up again. That's the name that we call on when we call upon the name of Jesus. That's the one that Paul said, I'm willing to count everything as lost that I may know that man. Sometimes when there's one sports commentator that um, a lot of times when if Caleb and I are watching the NBA We'll hear him and he'll say, Mama, there goes that man. When the guy just does something, you know, that, I mean, is just over the top. I mean, jumps over somebody and dunks the ball or whatever. You know, just does something that's out. He'll say, Mama, there goes that man. I just wonder. I just wonder sometimes if when Jesus was walking the face of the earth and people begin to get word that he was healing the lame, that he was healing the blind, that he was causing those who thought that they were the outcasts of society and yet he was bringing them into the family of God and saying, all are welcome in my family. In my father's house, there's many men. So I'm going to go, I'm going to prepare a place for you. You're all welcome. Come anyone who will. If you have no money, come and buy from me. All you who are weary and you're heavy laden, come and I'll give you rest. He's doing all of these things. I wonder if at some point there wasn't some little kids that were sitting around and they had been in the marketplace and they had seen him do a miracle and they looked and they said, Mama, there goes that man. I just wonder, I just wonder when we go through our lives and he said, you got to know, man, this is not, God, this is just what God's putting in my heart. You got to know that even Jesus said, he said, greater things than I have done, you're going to do. Because I'm going to go to my Father, and my Father's going to send the Holy Spirit, who we talked about last week, that when life is putting the pressure on you from the outside, that the Holy Spirit is going to release power in you from the inside, not for us, not for anything, but so that we can be made overcomers, so that we can be, be able to not just have life, but have life more abundantly. I wonder, as we go through our lives and we attempt to live out what it is that, that God has given us the ability through His Holy Spirit to do and to live and to be, I wonder if anyone will look at us and say, Mama, there goes that man. Mm. Well, there's three things that we're going to talk about in this passage today. We want to cover the question, what is everything? When Paul says, indeed, I count everything as lost, what, what's everything? And the second thing we want to talk about is, what does it look like when you're counting things as loss versus counting things as gain? And finally, what is this surpassing worth that Paul said was knowing Jesus Christ, his Lord? I'm going to leave one slide up here the whole rest of the time. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to stay in your, in your Bible. You're not going to be able to work, look at slides. I just decided not to do a bunch of slides. And I'm working off of notes today instead of doing slides. Just because I, I just want you focused. 
on God's Word. I want to read verses 8 and 9 to us again. Philippians 3, 8 and 9. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Listen to that. I wonder sometimes, where would people find us? Have you ever been looking for somebody in your house? You're looking for the kids or whatever? Because Especially you're usually looking for the kids because all of a sudden they get quiet. And you're like, all right, somebody needs to find the kids because I'm not hearing anything. And then, and then you know, if, you, if, one of the, if one of you goes looking for the kids, then they'll come back and say, where'd you find them? Well, I found them in their bedroom. I found them in. I found them in, the, in my makeup. Not mine, just want you to know. I mean, let's just clarify that. You said that had to be the lady of the house that went. You know, I found them in my makeup. They got quiet. Somebody posted a, a little video the other day, and I think it, was, it looked like a little bull terrier or something, and he had apparently eaten the lipstick. And, and I think it, it was a he. And I think he got embarrassed. He had pretty pink lips, though. <laughs> But he had the head down, and she was like, did you eat the lipstick? And I mean, it was, it was all on his lips. And he was just, no. <laughs> I wonder when people seek to find us, I wonder, like Paul, do we really say, I want to be found in Christ. I want to be found in Him. Paul went on to say then, When I'm found in him, I'll be found not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So what makes up everything? Sounds simple enough, right? Well, everything's everything. Well, we don't really believe that. If we we really believed this and we read this this scripture where he counted everything as loss and and this is an example for us, so wait a minute. Well, well, first we'd ask ourselves a question. We would say, well, what did Paul have that was really supposed to be worth something in the eyes of others? Because we already know that most of these guys, they, they didn't have a lot of money or they forsook a lot of things in order to come and follow Christ. So what would it be then that Paul had that he could say, I forsook all of these things, and that would have any impact on anybody that was listening to him. I mean, it's not a big deal if I lay a $5 bill down here on the, you know, on the platform and say, I'm going to forsake this. I'm going to forsake all so that I can come and follow Christ. Well, you go, okay, all right, you know, $5. No big deal, right? Now, if I put a million dollars down here on the, on the platform and I said, I'm going to forsake all in order to follow Christ, you go, hey, now that's, that's a big deal right there. Somebody had put that on Facebook or tweet that before we got out of here. Hey, you're not going to believe our pastor pulled a million dollars out. Put it, put it down on platforms and I'm just forsaking that. That's everything I have and I'm going to forsake it in order to follow Christ. Somebody be, whoo, hey, you're not going to believe what I have in the church today. Well, we've got to go back in chapter 3 to see what it is that Paul explained. We're going to kind of walk our way through these. 
We're going to begin with verse 3. Here in Philippians 3, verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And here he starts. Here he's going to start laying out in verse 4 what it is that he has that he could boast in if he wanted. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Here's why. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Now, let me, let me throw out as we go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through these, and we're going to come back and explain why these are important. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I'm a Pharisee. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Now, what did this list that he gave, what did it really mean? The first one was that he, he basically stated, I am a native Israelite. I'm not someone who moved here and then I decided to become an Israelite. He says, I was born here. I am native to being an Israelite. Then he said, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, out of all the tribes, the tribe of Benjamin adhered to Judah when all the other tribes revolted. When they all decided, no, we're going to do our own thing, we're going to rebel, this one stayed true to what they were supposed to do. So he said, I was born in Israel, I'm an Israelite. I'm out of the tribe that remained faithful. I'm not out of the tribe that was rebellious and that went against what we were supposed to do. He said, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. What does that mean? He was a Hebrew on both sides of his family, both his father and his mother, and none of their ancestors going all the way back had been anything other than Israelite. I mean, he's laying, he's laying all of it out. He says, I was born here. I'm part of the tribe that remained faithful. Nobody in my family has married outside of being Israelite. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That was important because circumcision, you could be a Hebrew, you could be born in Israel, you could be a Hebrew of Hebrews. But if you did not, get, in their mind, carry out the outward sign of covenant to God. Now, we don't think anything about it today. We just think, oh yeah, you know, you have a male child born, most, the average family says, okay, have them circumcised, you know, while you're there in the hospital. We don't even think anything about it. Circumcision came about in the Old Testament as a sign of covenant to God. They weren't circumcised until, and oh, by the way, guys, <laughs> just go ahead and break the news. Be glad it happened at birth for you, buddy. Because when, when this hit the people of Israel, they looked at all the men and said, hey, guess what we got to do? We got to show that we're in covenant to God. Everybody line up. You fist and get cut. I mean, it's, it's, it's what the Bible, the Bible lays the story out. So all the men had to come and get circumcised. Now, hey, you know, you feel so bad for that little boy. I remember, you know, Caleb was born. You know, if y'all got male children, you know, I mean, because they cry and all that stuff. But they can't tell you anything about it, and they don't even remember it. 
You know, psychologists say that it's actually impossible. Your brain's not even developed enough prior to almost two years old to even remember anything prior to that anyway. And that if you do think you remember something, it's because you've heard the story so much from other people that it has become something that you believe you have seen happen. But your, your brain wasn't prepared yet to be able to remember memories from that far back. So we don't even remember. But can you imagine if God... Now, I'm going to tell you something. Maybe for a lot of people... There's stuff that God calls you and says, I need you to come into covenant with me. And it's going to hurt just a little bit, but you're going to need to, as a, a man, as a woman, you're going to need to, even in your older life, you're going to have to do something that's going to hurt to come into covenant with God because some things need to be cut away from your life. Some things need to get marked in your life to show that I am in covenant with the God of the universe, with the God that I am willing to forsake everything for. They were given very distinct prescriptions for, you're supposed to be circumcised at this point. And, all this. and he says, hey, look, I was born here. I, I, my, my family has been Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm of the tribe that didn't rebel. And I have the outward sign of covenant. This is important. I have the outward sign of covenant with God done according to his instructions. Not only that, he says, but then when I grew up, I became a Pharisee. I was trained at the feet of a great lawyer, Gamaliel. The Pharisees were the ones, remember, not too long ago we talked about the Sadducees. But the Pharisees, history states they were somewhere in the number of about 6,000 people. They repeatedly appear in the Gospels as opponents of Jesus and they controlled the synagogues, and they had a, a, a strong amount of control over the population because they were on the religious side, where the Sadducees were on the political side. But the Pharisees were the religious people that wanted to control everything, and they had become very focused on the law and the outward signs of the law. So when he's looking at all these folks, he says, Hey, I have done everything according to law. When I was born, from the very... Eight days after I was born, we were following the law. When I became an adult, I became a Pharisee. We followed the law. In fact, the Pharisees were responsible really from transforming Judaism from being a religion of sacrifice to one of the law. And they saw that the way to get to God, they said, was being obedient to the law. This is where your legalism really came into play because they started saying, hey, the way that you gain acceptance to God is that you are obedient to what God has said, which has from that point even until now has clouded the idea of why we should do what the Word of God says. It's been, it's been made the whole thing murky. It's messed people up because then people swing to the opposite side and say, well, well, it's not about it. It can't be about doing what God's Word says. You're absolutely right. You cannot earn your way to heaven. You cannot earn salvation. But a life that has been transformed by Jesus Christ, if you love me, do my commandments. That's what he said. It's just that simple. Now, I take that and the reverse says, if you don't do my commandments, if you repeatedly refuse to do my commandments, then you must not love me. Because if you love me, do what I'm asking you to do. I, I, I saw an interesting statement when I was looking at the Pharisees this week, and, and it said they were the progressives of the day. 
They were willing to adopt and adapt the law to new ideas and new situations. Now, that concerns me because in our world today, there's such a fine line because when, when we talk, most of the time today when people talk about being progressives, what they're really saying is, they're not saying that, that we want to be forward-thinking, even though they'll use that term. They're not really saying they want to be forward-thinking in, in how to spread the gospel. Or do it. What they're really saying is, I, I think that the old things aren't good anymore. And you're not progressive if you still believe the Bible the way that somebody believed it 30 years ago or 40 years ago. Or, because we need to be more progressive. We need to adapt. Well, I do believe that we as people need to adapt. I do believe that even Paul said, he said, I become all things to all people in order that I might win some. But the message never changed. The method may have been adapted to what was effective. Look, some of you guys, y'all fish. Now, you're going to sit out there all day. I mean, even if you've ever just been fishing, period. You're not even that good at it. It's common sense that says, all right, if I, if I, you know, if I do a little Texas rig out here, Carolina rig, and, and I, I throw out... Texas. I'll get one of the states right here in a minute. If I get a Carolina rig and I got me a, I got me a worm on there and I throw that worm out there and somebody told you that chartreuse was what they've been biting on recently. So you throw it out there and you've been fishing for about an hour and a half and you had not even got a hit. Now I'm just going to tell you something. If you spend the next three hours fishing with that same thing and you're not getting any hits, you're just out there, you know, just, just sit on the water. I heard I had a had a guy told me one time, I was listening to some guys talk, and one guy said, you like to go fishing? The other guy said, nope. He said, you don't? He said, no, you go fishing, I go catching. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> I said, man, I don't know if I need to go with either one of y'all. Because <laughs> if I go with you and you don't catch anything, that's not help. If I go with you, you're just going to beat me down because you just over here catching something. He said, I'll go fishing, I go catching. I said, well, okay. Hey, you're going to adapt. Methods adapt. But God did not decide. The Bible says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His message is the same. That's important because his message remaining same and remaining true means that in a world of shifting ideas, in a world of shifting beliefs, in a world of shifting circumstances, then we are able to find something that is stable and that is secure and that, that we can find to be a foundation. You don't want a foundation to move. You don't want a foundation to be something that, hey, you come over here today and you come back next week and it's two feet over there. That's not good. That is not going to be positive for your house, I can promise you. They were the progressives. So they were constantly trying to take the law and figure out how we can make it hard for somebody in this other situation. They were strongly monotheistic. They did believe that there was only one God. They accepted the Old Testament as being authoritative. They affirmed the realities of angels and demons. They had a firm belief in life beyond the grave and a resurrection of the body. Because, by the way, there were people within Judaism that did not. They didn't believe there was, there was anything after this life. There's was, was some messed up stuff. They were missionary. In Matthew 23 and 15, they were seeking the conversion of the Gentiles. But what they wanted was they wanted you to convert to legalism. And follow the law, which we know you didn't have the ability to do. They had little interest in the political side of the day because they were too busy beating everybody up on the religious side of the day. And they opposed Jesus 
because Jesus wouldn't accept their interpretations of the law. Paul makes a powerful statement then about his position regarding the law. He says in Philippians 3 and 6, he says, As to righteousness under the law, that is a, that is a, it's very key that we recognize that he made a distinction. He didn't say as to righteousness. He said, as far as righteousness under the law, I'm blameless. Don't know that that's really the absolute truth, but in their interpretation, he's going to look, I have followed it. Therefore, if I did something that was wrong, then I made sacrifice in order, you know, I, I did the penance in order to make sure that everything was okay. But I have done what the law required. I filled all of the legal requirements. How about the fact that he looks at these people and he tells them, that as far as being zealous, as far as being enthusiastic, now, side note, it'd be interesting if we actually started defining ourselves at times as saying, how enthusiastic are you about God? Paul thought that was important to be able to tell these folks, hey, I'm not one who's sitting back on my hands, you know, not going out and doing anything in regard to what we believe. He says, I want y'all to understand that I'm zealous. I'm enthusiastic. I'm going out there. I'm, in fact, I was persecuting this church. That was, that was important to them. He says, yes, I was persecuting these guys. I've gone and I've held the cloaks while people got stoned to death. I, I've, I have been there and I've hunted people down. All the way to the point that, you know, Saul, who was Previously, he was Paul, he was, uh, or Paul, he was Saul until God changed his life. And remember when, when God told the prophet, said, hey, I'm sending him to you. He says, what, you sending me to God that's been killing us? People knew. Paul went through this whole list and said, hey, here's all this stuff that I was. It was all the things that mattered to society. It was all of the things that were important to them. He was talking about position. He was talking about his birthrights. He was talking about how he had lived his life. He said, hey, I am, I am upright in all this stuff. My family, he went through every bit of that stuff. The job that I have is the best. My family is the best. We, we've never done anything wrong. We're according to the law. We've been blameless. We've done all this stuff. So, man, society would look at him and say, there, there's a guy right there. There probably was some little kid that had said at some point, Mama, there goes that man. That's that guy that, uh-huh, he's, he's the real deal. Paul lists all that stuff, and he hits verse 7 and says, But all of that gain that I had, I counted all as loss for the sake of Christ. None of it mattered. One of the commentaries I was reading this week, he said, he counted these things as lost, not only insufficient to enrich him, but what would certainly impoverish and ruin him if he trusted to them in opposition to Christ. Wealth, position, family history, all of these things that our society still values today. Why on earth do we care about what the Kardashians are doing? Why do we care about what the Jenners are doing? Why do we care about all these different Hollywood types and all this who, actually, if you go back, 
Some of them, they don't make any movies. They're not really. But for some, who cares about Jersey Shore? I, there is stuff going on in our society that television shows and stuff like this that people follow. And I don't want to hurt nobody's feelings. I don't care what the Duggars are doing either. We know what they do. <laughs> I, I am not. I, I don't care what the Duggars are doing. I don't care what none of these people are doing. I mean, why? I mean, it's, is it going to impact my life or your life? Not really. I mean, it just, it just isn't. But because somebody gets a name, because somebody gets popular, because then we go, oh, oh, did you hear about what? Well, I, well, I didn't, and I really don't care. What's that, what is that, what's that got to do with my life? What's that got to do with our ministry? What's that got to do with reaching people in the city of Anniston with the gospel of Jesus Christ? But people get pulled in. Why? Because names are important. You don't even have to do anything because you got somebody's name. I mean, let's just be honest, go through politics. If we pop out that there's a Kennedy or if we pop out, you know, a Clinton or a Bush or, I mean, it doesn't matter which side of the aisle it is. I mean, just, oh, hey, oh, there's some, what'd they do? All these things that, that, that we use, if somebody went, oh, you know, the daughter of so-and-so, oh, oh, they're, they're, oh, they're going to come to our church Sunday? Those things can impoverish and ruin us if that's what we trust in in opposition to Christ. The Bible said at one point, it said, some trust in horses and chariots, but we will trust in the name of our God. Paul used two different tenses in his language. In verse 7, in verse 7 he states it this way. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. It's actually the perfect tense. Perfect tense means that it happened in the past, but it continues happening now. It's not past tense, meaning it only happened in the past, and it only happened once. He's, even though it says counted, he's meaning that this continued forward. It's, it speaks of something that was completed in the past, but has present results. After mature consideration... He says, I counted these things as lost. But in verse 8, then he states that he counts. He says, indeed, I count everything as lost. Now that to us sounds like it is purely the present tense, which it is. So he makes one statement that says, at some point in the past, I evaluated everything that was about me and everything that I considered to be important in our world and in our society but then I counted, I determined, I established that those things were not important compared to Christ. And so I counted them as lost. It still affects me today. But if anybody's wondering, today I count it as loss. It happened then. It's affecting me now. But I made the decision again today too. I, I, as, I, as I read that, I, I thought it's a powerful thing to consider that when we came to Christ, we may have started thinking about all things as lost at the time of conversion, but since then we've begun to revalue things. Isn't it ironic that our society, just in, in the general public, 
forget, forget for a moment just a spiritual concept in this. If somebody has something that's two years old, you don't call it vintage, you don't call it antique, and you probably won't pay, you know, but a certain amount for it. But let that thing get about 30 years old, rusted and unusable. Right? I mean, let it, let it get where you can't, all you can do with it is hang it on the wall or set it on a table to be a decoration because it's not functional. Half the time, you don't even know how to use it anyway. So you heard about it because your grandmama said something about she had this, you know, thing that they used. And you're going, hey, I, yeah, I got one of them. Look, I got it right here at the house. What'd you pay for? Man, I paid $200 for it. Why? Because it's an antique. Notice how we start valuing stuff when it starts getting old. Now, that's great. You need to value people, <laughs> just in case anybody's wondering. You know, value, we got some of y'all that's, y'all, y'all worth a lot. Y'all get that in a minute. I hope one day I'm worth a lot. <laughs> but things in our lives that when we came to Christ, that we said, I'm going to separate from and I'm not going to have value. Man, when it gets 20 years down the road, you don't need to start revaluing that thing in your life because now, you know, hey, I mean, the longer I've gone, I'm just starting to think that maybe, maybe that was pretty good. And all of a sudden, our, our loyalty gets divided and we start no longer valuing Christ as much as we start valuing the things we used to do. We start valuing the places we used to go. All of those things start having importance again because when we first had the enthusiasm of following Christ, we were willing to do anything for God. We were willing to tell anybody about it. We were willing to sacrifice anything we had to. But the longer it seems that we go with the knowledge that Jesus Christ has paid the price for us and has finished the work in us, then we start to value these other things again. And the bad thing is, no matter how you look at it, if, if Christ was being valued here and we had counted all of those things as loss, then it doesn't matter whether you're devaluing Christ or whether you're overvaluing then the things in your life. Either way, you're bringing Christ down in relationship to those things. Paul rejected the spiritual value of anything apart from Christ. And he didn't just re reject that value as being less. He didn't just say, well, you know, these things in my life, they have value, but they're not quite as valuable as what Christ is. He said, look, the value of everything else in comparison to Christ is like something that you would take and you would throw out onto the heap that would go to the dump or that, that you just let the dogs eat. But it no longer held value for you to retain it. But I'm, it's something that you would separate from. Luke 14 and 33 says this. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. You hear it. He didn't say, those of you that, you know... You can be my disciple and still, you know, value a lot of other stuff and, and it'll be okay, you know, just kind of... He says, look, if you don't renounce... I, I, I want to be, be clear on something because I want to help us because sometimes when, when you get that, a statement like this going, then we'll, get, we'll, get, um, we'll start to misinterpret this. When he says that, you know, Jesus says, therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple... 
Renouncing is an action. It's a choice that we make. It's a decision that we make to be able to say, I am going to, in my mind now, make a proclamation. I'm going to make a statement that in my life I'm not going to do. Does that mean that you immediately flip the switch and that you no longer have any attachment to anything in your life? I believe the answer is no. I believe that there is a decision that we make first and then God begins to mature us in the process of devaluing all of these other things. But you will never get to the place where that God will do it if you don't decide that it needs to happen. Because if you don't make the decision, you'll never take the first step. God's not going to take and pick you up and say, okay. Because what he said here was he said, any one of you, if you do not renounce all that you have, then you cannot be my disciple. He didn't say, if you don't let me help you renounce, if you don't let me go ahead and renounce it for you. He says, you have to make the decision and understand your part in this is that you... We said, well, wait a minute. Why would, why would Jesus not, not help you to decide to renounce? Because I'm going to tell you this. Then you don't really want Christ if you are not willing to say in your life, there is nothing that is more important than the man who walked up Calvary's hill carrying a cross upon his back, beaten with stripes for my healing, took and laid himself down, bore the, the spikes through his hands and his feet, let his blood be shed, and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then said, it is finished, and the work is done. If we don't value him more than anything else in our lives, how on earth could we say that we're his disciples? What does it look like to count things as loss versus counting things as gain? One of the first thoughts that popped into my head, some of you will know the story, some of you will not. There was a man named Jim Elliott. His wife's name is Elizabeth Elliott. He had a son. I've watched some videos of his son. But Jim, many years ago before being killed, Jim and uh, Nate Saint, some other guys, they... They had this yellow Piper airplane that they went and they were reaching out to a, a group of Inca uh, Indians that had never been reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ before. They were going, they were dropping gifts, they were a very warring tribe. They knew that uh, it was very dangerous. And so they had been, they, were, they would drop presents and gifts and things to this tribe and and they would string them out on a on a rope behind the the plane and and begin to drop some messages so they had decided that they were going to fly in land on a little sandbar that was there and they were going to reach out for the first time to this people group they ended up finding them later all of the men had been killed. They had been speared. Apparently when they landed, they were attacked. Some of the men who were involved in the attack later communicated what had happened. But uh, when they landed, these guys uh, from, from this tribe attacked them, killed them all. One of the most amazing things, though, is that Jim and Elizabeth's son... I've seen the pictures and videos, interview with him. He was, he was very young. Their family still ended up going into that tribe and winning people to Christ, even though they had killed Elizabeth's husband and, and their, their son's father. 
And one of the men who was involved in that attack became like a grandfather to Jim Elliott's son. He's been here to the United States with them. They have pictures and videos of the son giving testimony of what had happened. Jim Elliott, one of the most famous quotes that he's known for saying before all of this, this is, this is what he said. He is no fool to give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool to give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? If we got through our lives and if we never made a commitment to Christ and we never allowed Jesus to cleanse us of our sins and, and begin to shape us and mold us, and really, to be quite honest, to start knocking the rough edges off of us. Kind of like uh, a, a, uh, an artist who takes a big slab of marble and begins to chip away. And it, man, there's sharp things that come off. And then he, over time, he just rounds it and shapes it and forms it. And all of a sudden, it's something that now, when you see it, it it's pleasing. It, you know what it is. What if we got through our whole lives and then we, we faced eternity and there we are and we faced the reality, what would you be willing to give for your soul at that point? I guarantee you, you would give every piece of property you own. You would give every vehicle that you had ever owned. You'd give all of your earnings that you had owned. You would, there would be nothing that would be too important for you to be able to say, I would give it all. If I could simply receive what Jesus had offered for free to begin with. Counting those things as lost, it, it essentially amounts to counting other things as not important and denying those things from having control of our lives. Look, I mean, you gotta be able to pay your bills, you gotta be able to do all this stuff, but but do those things have to control our lives? Do those have to become things that that then we give in? Mother Teresa. Uh, is one of the prime examples that I always think about when it comes to people that counted things as lost for the sake of the gospel. She dedicated her life to serving colonies of people that had HIV and AIDS, people that had leprosy, people that had tuberculosis, other diseases. There's other people in the Bible that did this. Hebrews eleven twenty six, speaking of Moses, says, He considered the reproach of Christ... Greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Remember, Moses was there. He'd been adopted into the, to the Pharaoh's family. Could have been in, in this great and high position for all of his life. But he chose instead to stand with the people of God. 
looked at all the wealth of the treasures of Egypt, so that's not as important as this. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, Thus says the Lord, Let not the rich man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Wow, look at this. It says, don't, don't let the wise man boast in being wise, or the mighty man that he's strong, or the rich man that he has riches. But instead, let them boast in this, that I know Jesus. I know the God of the universe. Man, I... I don't really know anybody that's famous nationally or internationally. I don't, I don't know the president. I don't know any past presidents. I, don't, I know people live in other states, but so do y'all, right? I, I don't know Michael Jordan. I don't know, you know any famous ball players. I, you know, I know some guys that are probably going to be going to you know, some play in college and some other stuff, but I, I don't know any people that are, that are all famous like that or anything really wouldn't matter. What could they do for my eternity? He says, but here's what, here's what you need to boast in. Boast that you know and that you understand me. Who, who is this me? It's the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. So finally, what's this surpassing worth of knowing Christ? I want to read to you from um, Warren Wiersbe. He says, this means much more than knowledge about Christ. Because Paul had that kind of historical information before he was saved. To know Christ means to have a personal relationship with him through faith. You know, a lot of us know things about God. I mean, most people, if you went and asked people that are atheists, if you went and asked people who uh, are, are just completely in a different religion. They want nothing to do with the idea of Jesus Christ. But if you ask them things about Christ, they know things. Many of them have studied it. Many of them have studied it better than believers have. People know something that they believe about God. They, they know it's, oh, well, it's part of, you know, uh, one nation under God, whatever that means to a lot of people. Many of us know things about God, but we have to know God on a personal level. I, I, many times I've had somebody, in fact, it happened this, this past week. We were, um, we, were at the, uh, we were at the homecoming game for Aniston. We had 56 kids, and, and Haley has all kind of new little buddies, and, uh, and these other guys, Jerry, uh, Dennis and, and, uh, and Rhonda and Brandon and Haley and Jason and uh, Caleb were there, and we had 56 kids essentially with a bunch of men with the exception of, of, of Haley and Rhonda. By the way, that's an adventure. I just want you to know. 56 kids from three different, from three different uh, uh, housing areas that, that you, and, and they, don't, they don't know us. And, we don't, we, and, and, and I'm talking little kids and people everywhere. I mean, it's just everywhere. It was great fun, though. We really. But I had, I had a lot of people asking me, hey, do you know and, you know, insert a name. Well, or do you know this person? Do you know that person? And, and my honest response most of the time had to be, 
you know, sometimes it's just no. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even know who they are. Other times it was, well, I've heard about them. I've never met them, but I've heard about them. Sometimes it was, I've heard about them and I met them, but I don't really know them. I really don't personally know them. John 17 and 3 says, And this is eternal life, that they know you. He says, That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life. That you know the only true God in Jesus Christ. And we're not talking about that you know about him. Y'all have heard me use the example before. You know, how many people know who George Washington is? And people go, oh yeah, I know who George Washington is. You know, he's on some money. <laughs> I think he was a president. You know, is he the one, you know, I'm not going to chop down a cherry tree, you know, or whatever. Oh, wait a minute, I, you know, wait a minute, I can't tell a lie. Wait a minute, is that, wait a minute, is that him? Is, but did you know him? Now, you've read about him, you've, you've studied about him. It may be to the point that there are historians that can absolutely describe everything about him. They can quote him, but they didn't know him. I've seen people that could quote Jesus. They could quote the Scripture, they could quote the Word, but they didn't know him. He says, this is eternal life that they know you. There's passing knowledge of Christ this, this surpassing worth of knowing Him is not just knowing who He is as a person, but knowing who He is to you as a person. The, the word there, surpassing, in some translations it is listed as excellency, the excellency of this. And this is the thought that it contains, that it towers above everything else. It's higher than, it's greater than, it exceeds all other things. And when I read that, I told y'all last week, I, I end up asking myself questions all through sermon preparation. And so I, I start putting them in, and most of the time I end up just telling you the answers, and I don't tell you the question that I asked myself that got me there. But I've started thinking recently, I need to kind of tell you what the question was that popped in my head. Here's a question that popped into my mind. Is it possible that our relationship to Christ may grow cold because we simply fail to understand or know enough about Him, thus diminishing Him in our eyes. See, if I told you, hey, we're going to have somebody come speak next week, and I want to tell you all about this guy. This guy was crazy rich. I mean, it, it, if I told you who his dad was, you all would know his name. I'm talking wealth that is essentially unlimited, unbelievable wealth. This guy had everything he could have ever wanted, all provided for, prestige, honor, all of this. But he saw, he saw a group of people, and this group of people... They were as poor and impoverished as anything you've ever seen. Totally without. This guy decided that he was going to walk away from all of the money, from all of the riches, from all of the prestige, people that would wait on him hand and foot, people that would proclaim the greatness of his family, all this. He was going to walk away from that 
completely walk away, and he was going to move where all of those people were in that complete state of being impoverished. He was going to move into that, and he was going to change their whole circumstances. And he impacted. If, if I tell you guys who it is, if I told you who he is before he comes next week, you would realize the millions of people that have been impacted by what he did in stepping away from all of that. Get, gave all of that away in order to come. It's unbelievable. There have been people who, because of him, their lives have been saved. They were gonna, there's been people that were going to commit suicide that he caused because of his actions within that people group. He caused it. That never happened. They didn't end up doing that. There's marriages that got put back together because of what this guy did. There are people that were going to walk away from, from their obligations to their family, to their children. What It didn't happen because that this guy and what he did in, 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 in walking away from all this stuff, there are leaders of nations that every time they go to make a decision, they seek his advice. There are people that are, that are there's a few politicians <laughs> that they seek, there's a few, they, they, they ask his advice when they're going to decide what to do in something. There are, there are churches all over the world that they, they send him messages on a regular basis looking for his feedback. And I want to tell you something. He is willing to come next week and speak to us here at Unity Point. People be going, ooh, man, who is it? I mean, now y'all know I'm setting you up. I mean, y'all figured that out after like, you know, the first... We would, we would go tell people, hey, you need to come to our church next week. Why? Because let me tell you about this guy that's going to be coming. Well, who is it? I don't know who it is. Pastor wouldn't tell us who it is. But listen to all this stuff that he's done. Listen to all this stuff he's accomplished. I, I mean, I don't know what he, he didn't promise anything that he was going to do or anything, but, but Pastor said that guy is going to show up at, at Unity Point Church. He's going to show up at Unity Point in Anderson, Alabama, in a little building with a banner on the outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to do something better than bottle of water when he shows up. <laughs> but hey, we've got to go tell people because, man, this is an honor. This is a guy that's going to show up. But yet go week to week and say the God of the universe and his son that did all of those things and more, he's going to be here. And he wants to do something in your life. He actually has promised to do some things in your life. Well, is, is he going to pay all my bills? Is he gonna? That's not what he promised. What he promised was something far greater than that. He promised something that was surpassing, the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Why? Because he's one who will take the vilest sinner and make them clean. He is the one who will take the person who, even as Paul said, I am the chief of sinners because I persecuted the very church that Jesus came to save. I was killing people in it. I was pursuing it. Look, let's just be honest. Many of us, at times, that's the way we were. We mocked people that were in the church. We mocked people that were of faith. We mocked women of faith. We mocked men of faith. We did all of these things. Paul says, hey, I'm right there with you. I took it a step further. I killed them. 
So he says, I'm the least, but I've counted it all as loss. Why? For the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. He says, all of these positions, all of this stuff, it's nothing. Because that man wants to show up in your life, wants to show up in this place at the name, at the name, that man. I can promise you this. It's not that hard for us to come together believing and trusting that God wants to impact somebody's life, that God wants to change somebody. And I can guarantee you that at some point we're going to see some little kid <laughs> almost figuratively, spiritually, whatever, is going to say, Mama, there goes that man. I believe it because he's going to see it in you. I believe it because your story of what God has done in your life. Some of you, the many things that God has already done in your life. All of you that know Christ, the greatest thing that he will ever do in your life is that he brought you back from the dead. He took that which was dead in trespasses and sins and made you alive in Christ. And people are going to look and they're going to see the Jesus in you. And in your life, and what God is doing in you because you have counted everything else as lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. And people are going to look. They're going to say, there goes that man. Let's pray. Thank you.